0: When the feds lean on social media firms to take down alleged misinformation, it turns out that's government censorship, according to the Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. That's worth celebrating, but there are cautionary side issues. Also, it looks like we're heading into another round of debt ceiling crisis. Some say the president is constitutionally obliged to ignore any limits and spend more than the government takes in. Hmm... We'll discuss these issues and more in today's episode of Independent Outlook. Hi, everyone. I'm Graham Walker, coming to you today from the Independent Institute in Oakland, California, right across the bay from San Francisco, where we try to bring you an independent take on the issues of the day, keeping a careful eye on the fate of liberty. As always, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, partner in crime, Williamson Evers, head of our Center on Educational Excellence. Hello, Bill Evers, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you, Graham. It's great to see you and it's always fun to have these conversations with you and with our friends who join us in various ways. So let's start with the recent ruling by the panel of judges of the Fifth Circuit. Uh, This was a little bit surprising because it seemed so clear, namely that uh, when the Biden administration leaned on uh, Facebook and Twitter and so forth uh, to try and take down misinformation or harmful information. That constituted a violation of the First Amendment.
1: Have I got that right, Bill? You do. Uh, the, The Biden administration tried to say, well, we have our point of view and we should be able to state our point of view and we didn't put a gun to their head and the social media, well, the people, that were, so the, the victims of this, the people that were blocked from social media, uh, so we're particularly talking about policies relating to the COVID epidemic and treatments and so forth. People who had different ideas on this that differed from the Biden administration. They said, no, you strong-armed them, you, you muscled them, you, you, know, you made threats of a sort, uh, you constantly met with them, you constantly coordinated, you constantly said, you're not doing enough to block these people. And by saying that and having regulatory powers, uh, you were censoring the people. And so the courts found that this was the case. Yeah, and, you know, during some of these issues, I had been thinking to
0: myself, oh, well, I mean, these are private companies. If they want to, you know, limit stuff and promote stuff, shouldn't that be up to them? But it turns out that I was missing uh, a crucial point, wasn't I? Yes, I
1: think the court, you know, the court didn't say that companies couldn't edit their, uh, their content. And decide what right. they wanted to have or prioritize, but uh, that the government couldn't lean on them and bully them and you know, make essentially threats. So the, the, the worry that some civil libertarians have is that as this went from one level of appeal to another, uh some of the government agencies that were supposed to not you know pressure the, be in touch with the social media companies were dropped. So there's a whole string of people that certainly had the kinds of interests that might lead them to tell social media companies what to do. Uh, so they narrow the number of companies and, uh, the language got a little more permissive in terms of what the government could be saying or doing as it went through, came into this newest decision. I, I still would call it a victory for liberty, a victory for constraining the state and confining the state to, to limits. But uh, there is wiggle room. There are ways to weasel... Uh, government, oh, yeah. p- emergency powers of various sorts in, into uh, cracks in the dike, so to speak. And so the vi- the phrase eternal vigilance is the price of liberty is uh, still true. Uh, Highly relevant.
0: Uh, yes. you know, one angle on this that, that I was thinking of is that um, arguably uh, the social media firms and their uh, you know, monitors and whatnot, um, might have been inclined to uh, block this information anyway um, based on their own opinions. Um, they might and have. Maybe they could have argued that, you know, well, just because the Biden administration leaned on us doesn't mean we changed our views. We had those views. That we wanted to block this stuff anyway. We wanted to censor these right-wing nutcakes anyways.
1: Well, let's speak. I think it's best there's always arguments about how to be loose or narrow and how we use words. I think it's best to use censor when we're talking about a government entity telling a private entity, private person what they have to do. Uh, so and, mm-hmm. ca- and call it editing if we're talking about you know, a newspaper. You send right. a letter in, they shorten it, mm-hmm. or you send an opinion piece mm-hmm. in, and they... Send it back to you and say if you don't conform to our usage and grammar rules, we're not going to run this. That's not really censorship. So, uh, right, or we're not going to run your exactly. letter at all, or we're not going to run your op-ed at all. And so, mm-hmm. I think it's their you know, prerogative. Have to be. Yeah, I think it's their prerogative. But,
0: but, so but, but, but the state
1: can try and the state can try and commandeer. That's right. Media of communication, and the court found that that's what they were doing here. My my point, I suppose, is that even if
0: Twitter at that time, under the pre-Elon Musk version, and even if Facebook and the company would have wanted to edit out <laughs> this information that they didn't think was right or disagreed with, um, it still made a difference that the government tried to lean on them and right. coerce them. Right. Uh, So even if it turns out that the government is pushing you in the direction you already wanted to go, the government still is not free to try and do that, to control private decisions.
1: It's not not authorized under our Constitution to do things like that. Now, you know, there are all these countries that are putting in fake news laws and, uh, you know, communist and authoritarian countries all have them oh and, yeah uh, mm-hmm. and some somewhat some countries that have aspects of liberal democracy of constitutional government have also put in false news disinformation laws that are certainly open yeah. to terrible abuse by the government so mm-hmm. we just have to be watchful
0: right I think sometimes it helps people to flip the tables and just see the principle underneath. So what if the Trump administration, you know, successfully coerced social media companies to delete or add or whatever, then some people might say, oh, yeah, that would be terrible. Well, it's the same thing either way, right? It's the same thing either way. Yeah. So did you notice this piece, Bill, um, uh, on Reason.com from Ilya Soman about... The other case from the same panel last year, um, I thought this was pretty intriguing. Uh, last year, the same court with a different panel um, upheld a Texas law requiring these social media firms to post material that they disapprove of. Yes. So this is kind of this like is, the
1: flip. And this, I think, was wrongly decided. Uh, uh-huh. This is there's also a famous case where somebody wanted the Miami Herald to po- to run a letter that they wanted or a, res- a response to, to something that was in the Miami Herald. And the courts held, the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court, it got that high, uh, held no, the, the proprietor gets to decide what's in his mm-hmm. or her publication. And so I think the courts, uh, you know, I don't know. The courts are struggling with these new media and new technologies, and I th- I'm hopeful that uh, they'll get it right and have a consistent position. But I think Selman was very sound in saying, "Well, they got one thing right, and they got the other thing wrong." He's generally—he's generally, yeah, he's generally a, a, you know, some. Sometimes he—he's generally a reliable commentator on constitutional. Yeah, law I
0: enjoy reading his stuff for yeah. sure.
1: So he's okay, on, so I think he's on he's... the Volk conspiracy. That's the main place to find. Mm-hmm.
0: It. Yeah, it really is.
1: So I think we sorted that one out more or
0: less. Uh, let's talk about the pending debt ceiling showdown, which seems to be revving huh. up once again, yes. over and over again. We have to do this. It seems
1: right, Bill. <laughs> yes, um, so it's kind of complicated for people that don't follow this <laughs> ever you know with an eagle eye and an accountant screen visor and whatever else you might <laughs> have to have because uh, we remember they had negotiations on uh, some sort of debt ceiling rules that they were going to be following, and of course, those rules lasted a few months and <laughs>
0: Now yeah, we have emergency supplementals
1: until, and we, have, we yeah. have aid to hurricane areas and we, have, we must give more money to the Ukrainian government and all these things that are sort of, well, now let's just burst the boundaries that we set before. Right. On the other hand, the Republicans, uh, much to the distress of the Democrats in some fields, haven't spent up to that previously negotiated or haven't put forward proposals that go up right. to the mm-hmm. level. So they're, tr- they're treating it as a ceiling, and the Democrats are treating it as a goal, <laughs> the debt ceiling, except where they want to breach yeah. it. <laughs> uh, and, right. and this is all complicated by several other things. So one is obviously the narrowness. of So, so the House and the Senate both have to pass these things. House is supposed to be the origin of money bills, but sometimes Yeah, it's the initiator of the money bills Right, but sometimes the Senate is simultaneously working on it, probably for time reasons not that evil but even so when it gets to the final form, the House has to advance it. So the House is very narrowly divided, the Democrats have a a few fewer votes, or the Republicans have a few more votes than the Democrats. The Speaker uh, took 15 ballots to get to his position, Congressman McCarthy, and he has uh, members who believe that there there should be cuts, some serious cuts, maybe some agency Either abolition—I mean, there's—we're talking a lot of different people here, but some people certainly want radical purges, cuts, and targeted on certain agencies. Maybe even abolition of those agencies. And I'm pretty just, sympathetic I, to some of those right. I don't, right, I don't want to make them sound more libertarian than they are, but you know, this is but, what's going on. Know. And yeah. that, and it just takes a few votes where he can't command a majority. Now, he can turn to Democrats to help him, but since McCarthy has just advanced an impeachment inquiry, the Democrats are pretty irritated with him. They're not gonna bail him out. Well, we don't know. I'm just saying they're certainly irritated. And uh, at the same time, McCarthy faces another problem, which is he, a, a single member can essentially uh, call his tenure into question. So they they can say, we need to have a snap vote on whether you're still Speaker. And that was the part of the deal that, that they made. That was part of the deal vote. after yeah. those 15 yeah. votes. So... It, and there's no person that has enough votes to right now to supplant McCarthy to replace McCarthy. So that's it would be time-consuming. It would be irritating. It would be ugly. But I don't think he's going to be replaced by anybody. Uh, certainly not by somebody dramatically more conservative or libertarian than he is. Uh, so. It's a problem. Of, at the same time, the Senate has put together a spending plan that's quite a bit, you know, more munificent than even McCarthy wants. Right. And so they're barreling ahead. And when it comes to you know taking another look at spending on Ukraine or cutting any of these agencies, the Senate people and Leader McConnell don't really want to do that, so it's a it's a problem. We easily easily could have a shutdown. Now the M- McCarthy had his side had a pretty good idea. They took the military things and the disaster relief, and they said, "Let's put those through for a year." Mm-hmm. So what they're trying to do is pass twelve separate appropriation bills for the upcoming year rather than have an omnibus thing and and, or a continuing resolution that lasts a long time so he wants to take say three of those pass them for the year and put the other ones into a continuing resolution that goes into the fall so for a few months Mm -hmm. and that will give the republicans time to thrash this out, he McCarthy, of course, would rather not pass something where he's importantly dependent on Democrats, because that would add further ammunition to people that might like to trust uh-huh. him. Is is that clear, Graham? I don't know, but that's certainly I, I how think I think so.
0: See it. But you know what puzzles and, and, and me is, and they've
1: tried, they've tried this like this thing I just described. He hasn't been able to get that through, even though that's a. A pretty reasonable plan for how to address this,
0: but there had been a deal struck earlier this year, as I recall, that the whole thing they would not re- have to revisit the debt ceiling until January of 2025. After this the new is what I was storm. talking what about. What happened to that? that? Yeah, well, I that told got you. upended by these crises like
1: Ukraine and stuff, right? Well, I, I also what I was talking about at the beginning how people were yeah, confused. Yeah, they thought this had been mm-hmm. resolved. But people wanted to breach it for disaster relief, for new contingencies in Ukraine. And just generally, you know, people in the legislature like to spend more, many times. But we right. do have yeah. uh, people who, by their beliefs, by their principles, by their doctrines, by their ideology, whatever you want to call it, want to reduce government spending or reduce it in certain areas. And so that's where the fight is. Uh, the Democrats, of uh, course, one of the- are loving that McCarthy has all these problems.
0: Oh man, yeah, well, I can see why. But I mean, you know, the underlying thing is that um, uh, the national government, the federal government, spends so much more than it takes in in revenue. Yes. And it um, makes up the difference by borrowing. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, that leads to pressures to expand the money supply and uh, drives up interest rates and so forth, wouldn't, if you put it to a national vote, you know, do you want more inflation or less? People, people are not going to vote for more less. inflation. Yeah, but if, but, if, but if you ask them, you know, do you want the government to spend all sorts of money on this and that and that, they're going to say
1: yes. Yes, they're uh, going to they say They do that. want all that. They and, have. You know, the, this is a, a long-time paradox observed by political scientists and public opinion scholars that uh, you know there's lots of people that also try to say oh no it's perfectly compatible Uh, but I don't think it really is I think that they have conflicting views and it's possible that with more information they could figure out how to reconcile them and
0: it it would be possible but it takes a lot of thinking to kind of put those pieces together and Many people, we know, when they vote, they're just thinking in very simplistic terms. I would like to get more benefits from the government myself, Uh, and I don't want more inflation.
1: So we often speak of monetizing the debt, which is essentially how we get inflation. So they're, they're printing money to kind of get themselves out of the debt or get the burden of the debt decrease and so forth. So... At the, at the same time, uh, we, pe- some people advance balanced budget amendments. Some of our presidential candidates that are out there are trying to address this. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy wants to uh, cut, well, he wants to reorganize at least 75% of the federal government and maybe cut. As well as reorganize within that, so it's not completely clear. I mean, he, he talks all these agencies, yes, 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 but then it turns out not everybody's going to be fired. They're going to go to different places. But
0: well, it's not. Clear he has some good ideas on
1: this, but they're they're yeah. very advanced ideas. <laughs> we ones we like, but. Uh, uh, a columnist in the London Financial Times said his ideas were impossibly libertarian. On this, another thing ah, is not I see. is not libertarian. But uh,
0: right, right. Well, one of the things that arguments that's made in this context is that unless the debt limit is raised, um, then the president and the treasury will have to default on uh, previously issued, um, you know. Uh, certificates of borrowing right. and therefore that would undermine the credit worthiness further undermine the creditworthiness of the United States government so therefore we have to spend more money than comes in in order to make sure that we pay off our debt obligations now this seems to me unless I'm missing something to be somewhat misleading maybe deliberately so because debt servicing is a growing part of the of the federal budget sad to say but the amount of money coming in from taxes and other revenue sources is more than enough to
1: service all the existing
0: debt obligations. So what we're well, really well, talking about. We're
1: talking about future debt, future adding of debt obligations. Future adding, that's right. what we're talking about. And that, I, and, that I, and that was, exact. I'm not saying it was made clear to the public, but it was certainly stated during that previous so-called debt deal of some months right. ago. Uh, There are arguments over what would happen. I mean, I I think, though, you're essentially right about this. It it is about future borrowing. But, you know, (laughs) the people who are running the country, so to speak, and running our lives, uh, they want to add more debt. I mean, they they certainly Mm -hmm. don't want to just stop now, okay? Uh, Right. So...
0: And, of course, there are literal debt obligations, and then, of course, there are sort of political obligations like to the many uh, Social Security and other similar federal programs. They are sort of the social equivalent of debt obligations because they are anticipated. I
1: think we're going to be strict constructionists here and say no. We should be. They're they're (laughs) political. They're things that politicians have led people to expect that's right that's that's, how that's how the I distinction i'm about. actually getting at. some people
0: fuse saying. the two some people fuse hey, hey, them together you're to make not really point.
1: even entitled to your social security let's there's a famous case so a guy was a communist party member and uh he paid into social security his whole life and uh, he, the, the congress said well if you're a convicted under the Smith Act or something like that. That was a, a anti-subversion bill in the 1950s. I guess it's still, it's not enforced anymore, but it's, I think it's still on the books anyway. So they said, well, you can't get Social Security, and he sued, and the courts said, right up to the Supreme Court, said, no, this is a discretionary thing on the part of the government. Right. You're not, it's right. not a contractual thing that you can enforce.
0: Right, it's neither a constitutional right nor an enforceable contract. Exactly, but fuzzing the difference between those and things which are enforceable contracts, such as debt obligations of the U.S. Treasury, fuzzing that difference is crucial to some of the arguments being made from the more progressive side.
1: So, for example, plenty of concern, plenty of. of, So there are There are several candidates running for president. I guess probably all the Democrats and certainly many of the Republicans, not not Pence. Uh, I guess some other people that say we can't we can't look at Medicare, we can't look at Social Security to try to make them uh, fiscally more sound. Uh, just leave them the way they are. That's well, that's it. Donald Trump's position. That is, and and other and other and some other candidates too. But but. Pence is saying, no, that the traditional conservative position is we have to look for savings where they can be found and look for fiscal soundness where it can be found. And uh, it's, it's courageous, as they say uh, in, in humor programs about politics, to, to do that. Uh, but I think you, know, you and I would think he's right to say that they have to be looked at.
0: Um, There's an interesting argument made uh, by, for example, the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, which is the leading progressive organization, that actually in this whole discussion um, of the debt ceiling, President Biden doesn't really have to pay any attention at all because he can just ignore the debt ceiling previously enacted by Congress and continue issuing new debt because of the 14th Amendment uh, in uh, Section 4, the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned, and this is the so-called Fourteenth Amendment Trump card uh, or nuclear option, whichever right. metaphor you want to use. that That's President Biden could Trump we,
1: we got we got to be careful not to use yeah. Trump too many right. different it's, it's, ways. Different word, different word. <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't think that you know that that has to do with some kind of. It's like a gag order against, uh, a, a, like a bank run type bank. Uh-huh. I, I don't really. I mean, to me, it's a violation of freedom of speech. I don't see if, if say, a scholar Jeffrey Hummel wants to say, <laughs> not only where we are bankrupt, yeah. uh, our assets. You know, we are bankrupt. And uh, if you were wise, you would behave accordingly. I don't think he should be punished for saying that.
0: Not at all. No, that would be ridiculous. uh, I also
1: don't think... I think, you know, money should not be appropriated and spent and so forth unless Congress has gone through its procedures. We have Mm -hmm. too many ways in which that kind of thing is avoided. I don't think the president... The president should be carrying out the laws. He should not be, you know, as a, as a kind of king-like figure saying, right, right
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, en- this England, is a England before the rise of Parliament type figure." Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to spend this, and I'm going to spend it, and I don't care what you say. Right, uh, but and to- but there are there are serious people that believe that. I just think they're wrong.
0: Well, they are wrong. I mean, first of all, the section of the 14th Amendment, like most of the Constitution, has to do with what the United States as a governmental entity may do and may not do. So I think that the 14th Amendment, yeah. Section 4, means that the public debt shall not be questioned by actions of the United States government. I think that's a good to way to private, think about it. It's said by private parties. But, e- but even oh. in this narrower sense of the meaning of it, it still doesn't uh, uh, do what the Progressive Committee for Change claims it does, namely right. it means that President Biden can ignore congressionally enacted debt yeah. limits and continue to take out new debt. Right. The Fourteenth Amendment Section Four I covers concur with previously you. previously issued debt cannot be reneged upon. But there's right. no obligation to issue debt. I think new that's debt. what
1: they're trying to do. But of course yep. uh it's a, it's a kind of—I I mean, this is—we're going out way on a speculative limb here. But what if tomorrow President Biden said, I'm repudiating all for previous debt? I don't know how the constant—I don't know how the Supreme Court exactly stops him.
0: Uh, well, somebody would sue, and then he would yeah, lose the case, and, and, and then uh, there'd so, be a showdown. And
1: so he would say, uh, kind of like— uh, president jackson and the indian lands controversies you'd say okay send in your uh send in your forces <laughs> right. uh supreme court i yes I, I don't i certainly don't think any immediate future president is going right. to repudiate the debt nobody wants but to governments have repudiated debt it's of course makes it much harder for them to borrow in the future yes uh, so that's one of the main reasons they don't do it but uh it's happened. I believe the Bolsheviks repudiated the Czarist debt. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I could, I could reach around in history and maybe think of some other cases. Certainly, us. Uh, I might be wrong. I mean, you know.
0: Anyway, about the Bolsheviks. So far, President Biden has has demurred on this point and has has said no. He's not. He's not going to go there. But many right. people are saying we also oh, have you need like,
1: to keep this. Su- there's also the famous coinage thing where he mints yeah, a giant coin and declares that worth something and uses that. To, I don't know. This, this is all gimmickry. It's yes, Not that is. gimmickry hasn't been used by governments in the past, but I think that's right. we, who want to see constitutional limits, who want a, a regime of constitutional liberty, uh, should not be countenancing gimmickry that runs against the. Uh, Checks and balances and constraining here, here. structure.
0: Okay, so Bill, yes. while we're repudiating Fourteenth Amendment gimmickry, yeah. um, I'm jumping to Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment on yes. a totally different subject. Uh, this is the have my of the Constitution 14th Am- handy. Here? Okay, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> so, so according to Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment, uh, nobody who has engaged in insurrection or rebellion or aided uh, and given comfort, thereto can hold an office uh, under the United States. And so uh, it is being argued that Donald Trump should be declared ineligible by various state ballot officials, ineligible to be put on the ballot because of what he said on on January 6th, which then was followed by a riot up to the Capitol and so forth. Um, This is getting a lot of traction in some circles. Uh, all, you, all you have to do, they say, is is the various uh, state authorities controlling the ballots have to say, hey, I'm not putting Donald Trump on the ballot because 14th Amendment, Section 3, and then he's,
1: he can't be elected president. This, is, well, this strikes me as this,
0: another gimmick.
1: That strikes me as a gimmick, too. On the other hand, uh, we want, you know, the Constitution has a structure of federalism that gives the states a lot of authority in terms of running elections. Uh, it's not... Which is a strength, actually, yeah, of the yeah, that's right. Uh, um, th- this whole thing about Trump and his causal role, it's a little bit strange to me. I'm, I'm not I'm claiming he wasn't reckless or didn't say some things or, you know, didn't, abstained from doing some things on January 6th that weren't wise. But first of all, the Capitol grounds were breached before he even finished his speech. Secondly, they're convicting all these people of going into the Capitol and breaching the Capitol and maybe doing various things there, including the Oath Creepers members and kind of the group of South and the proud boys and these people were not under instructions from President Trump and they, they, the prosecutors actually tried to offer uh, plea deals to the people in these groups say if you if you'll just say that <laughs> I, I may I'm probably exaggerating here, but they, they certainly sought they actively sought to tie Trump to these two organized groups that May have been involved in the breach. The people, you know, the people that were convicted all have defenses. Some of them said, "Well, we were trying to hold the crowd back. We were trying to keep it more disciplined." Whatever the courts have found, they're guilty. So uh, the, you know, he, it's it's. So that's one question. So how much was Trump a, a party? a leader of a causal actor in this event on January Uh 6th. So I think that's doubtful that he caused it. Well, I think his causal
0: causal role was pretty strong, but I don't think it
1: rose to the level of criminally culpable causality. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Okay, then secondly, there's a question of was this an insurrection? Per the uh, terms of the 14th Amendment. Well, I mean, you have to, it's like any other text, any other contract, anything that you're interpreting, you want to have some idea of what the meaning was when the contract was made, when the the law was passed, or the amendment to the Constitution. And I think the plain black letter meaning of insurrection it, it doesn't really arise here, pe- Stanford law professor uh, Mike McConnell, who I think is a very br- uh, br- smart, good judgment interpreter of the Constitution, says to him, This is not an insurrection. Okay. It's a breach of property. It's an mm, invasion of the Capitol grounds. It's a trespass. It's a yeah, robbery. It's some assault and battery, maybe some theft, but it's. Not really an insurrection, uh, in the sense that, you know, the South seceding from the Union was insurrection. Or uh maybe somebody might say Aaron Burr's activities, this could be, of course, hugely controversial, depending on how you want to see it, whether it was just and uh whether it was just Jefferson, uh Hey. Mistreating Aaron Burr, but anyway, you could somebody might claim that. So the the point is, doesn't really rise. To that. And then the last question, to my mind, well, there's there's two more questions. So one more question is, is Trump, when he was serving as president, an officer under the Constitution? Because as you read that carefully, it says representatives, senators, uh, uh-huh. people who take an oath, et cetera. So it seems to be everybody in the federal government lower than the president. okay? The president has a separate oath that's in that's sound in, in article uh, 2. The, the language of it is specified. And so forth. And, and so the wording of this amendment seems to mean everybody who is lower than the president. So it's not clear that it applies. And people have written about this. Uh, and people have even changed their mind. People, top scholars who originally thought, yeah, this does apply to Trump, when they heard this argument advanced about, What is in the 14th Amendment? They said, it doesn't really apply. So then another question is, is this... By the way, all these guys that have been convicted for January 6th events have not been convicted for insurrection. (laughs) They've all been convicted for the things I was describing, trespass, disorderly conduct, you know failure to disperse, on and on and on, the different things that are pieces of a riot and a civil disorder and not an insurrection. Which is, right. Which is, so, okay, you said you have a third, a third reason why is, this is... last thing is, this self-executing? Or, yes, that's so, a big so question. The, self-exec- the word self-executing means it's in the Constitution and Congress doesn't have to pass a law explaining what this means and and what the penalty is and what triggers uh, you being a crime and do you have to have uh, intent and all these different things that would might go into a statute okay so some people say it's self-executing it's in there Uh, and other people say no uh, you need to have a statute now Oh, oh, I forgot to mention also the, uh, the uh, who is an officer. The courts have found that an officer that the president is not an officer in various case law. They could change their mind, so this is certainly going to come to the Supreme Court because there are going to be state election officials who buy this argument and refuse to put Trump on the ballot. Yeah, uh, that'll it's trigger just, a suit. It's just in, it, it, I can't. Imagine really? that there won't be some guy who or yell you know, who thinks, you know, I my historic role would be to do this, and they're just not going to be able to resist. And so somebody will do it, and it will go to the Supreme Court, and they will consider these questions that we have been talking about
0: here. So, just to add a little bit more color, uh, we do have something on our website, independent.org, by one of our legal experts, uh, William Watkins Jr., on the subject of this, on Trump and the Fourteenth Amendment. Worth looking at on our Beacon blog at independent.org, and and Bill Watkins argues that it's not self-executing because at the very end of the Fourteenth Amendment, it says the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriation, by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article, and then Congress did, in fact, uh, enact uh, uh, US, 18 U.S. Code, section 2383, he points out, uh, which shows that anyone who's going to be kept from office by this section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, has to be, go through an adjudication process with procedural protections, a jury trial, the right to appeal, et cetera, before being found uh, disqualified under the terms of this section 3. So he says it's not self-executing. Because Congress set up the execution of the of the rule, I think
1: that makes complete sense. You know, I I think so. There's major problems with trying to do this, uh, and the the reason why it feels instinctively to us as gimmickry uh, is that it seems bizarre that a state level secretary of state. Or whoever runs the elections in a state, and sometimes it's commissions and various things in the state, could block somebody. On the other hand, uh, it's—I po- don't really remember this exactly—but it's possible that, to the extent, this is a, this is again a weird thing because in the 19th century there weren't necessarily. Official ballots in the states. So let's take the 1860 election, and uh, you look at the results. And in some history books, it will say Alabama or whatever state Lincoln got no votes or he got a negligible amount of votes, and and, and so you think, well, what? They didn't. They were so low that nobody bothered to tabulate that Whatever. Uh, so I don't. I don't know enough about that to say what exactly happened, but it, it's it's this will be adjudicated. And it, it does feel strange to us that a candidate of a major party could be kept off. Now, this, at the same time, think about it this way. Let's say it's Ross Perot running for president, or let's say it's Robert LaFollette in the early 20th century running for president. Or it's George Wallace running for president. He was not on every ballot. The states have rules which are different in each state, and so the Libertarian Party, you know, I think it's on the ballot in all fifty states. Certainly, sometimes it has been, but sometimes it's it. It, certainly, in its early days, it wasn't on the ballot. All states' the green party, I'm sure, is not on in every. But those
0: state. were de- ballot ballot access decisions that we're not pivoting on Fourteenth Amendment Section Three.
1: Yes, but I'm just saying, if you want to say, if it's your instinct that a major candidate should be on the ballot, whatever the reason is, it it's just. Right, but, what, There's different things we're talking about here. So one are the technicalities of the constitutional interpretation. And another is the gut feeling, oh, the, the top candidate should be there. Well, they're not always there in every state. And so- Yeah, man, and as we said a few minutes ago,
0: one of the strengths of our constitutional system is the degree to exactly. which jurisdiction is devolved at the state right. level. And, and we, we prize that, and rightly so, because it's an impediment right. to
1: consolidated tyranny and all that. So actually, well, I was that, think, that's a I good was point. thinking I was thinking about all this when we had our manhunt in Pennsylvania, the Keystone cops and the mm. Keystone State there. And uh, <laughs> so there are all these federal people chasing this guy. And you think to yourself, well, he's a murderer. Isn't that a state activity? Why is the federal yes, government Yes, I wondered there? that. Well, it turns out that Pennsylvania is on the Great Lakes. And therefore, it's an international boundary. And therefore, you know, on and on. They just construe this too loosely. I mean, right? Attorney General so, Edmund Meese used to say, after he was out of office, that we have federalized too much of crime. Yeah, and, and we federalize you know, way too many things. Yes, and so if we centralize, as as certain people certainly Many progressive Democrats right now want to centralize the election procedures and the rules, and I think, and they have HR one, which never passed, but Pelosi wanted to centralize the election rules, as I remember. Right. I mm-hmm. Have the details wrong on that, but it's it's not a it's not a good thing. We want to preserve autonomy for the states, but. Right. So what? What peculiar. my thought is. Uh, right. It, we don't want my We don't this... want Arkansas forbidding Trump on the ballot or forbidding Biden on the ballot because he didn't defend state sovereignty. Therefore, he was, you know, I don't know what. but for some crazy reason that a, st- a local secretary of state might come up. Right. So you know, in general,
0: my point would be. We want to preserve and we should want to preserve as much appropriate local jurisdiction as possible under our Constitution, which is very considerable. It's just that in this case the gimmicky <laughs> use of they always the, 14th say that, Am- right? <laughs> the gimmicky use of the Fourteenth Amendment, Section right. Three, fails either because um, it right. was an insurrection or because it doesn't apply to the office of the presidency, or because uh, Congress already enacted the procedures by which a person could be disqualified, which have not been and, followed in this case. Which have not been so. Yes. Yeah, so those are three particularly pretty strong, strong reasons. Pretty strong yeah, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is different, therefore, because of the uh, enforcement aspect of the Fourteenth Amendment. This is different from say the First Amendment, where some some local um, governor or mayor declares, you know, you can't have freedom of speech. You know, I think a local official in that state or city or whatever would be perfectly justified in saying, the First Amendment protects free speech. and self-enforcing. I'm going to resist.
1: Right, which we saw in the more, case
0: of the Second Amendment in New Mexico. Which is exactly parallel to that, yeah, as which we talked about in a recent so it just complicated. discussion. it's this is complicated. Yeah. I think so. we've navigated a little bit, and if it does come to a court decision, it'd be real interesting to see how the, the court's treatment of this uh, does or doesn't track with our very preliminary discussion of it today. Yeah. Right. So uh, we're we're getting short on time here. Bill, would you like to turn to some other political matters that you
1: had in mind for today? Uh, I, I, you know, I could go through <laughs> the rep- first Republican debate or I could yeah, talk let's about talk how the about different that. candidates are doing. I mean, I think, yeah, the truth is it's still very early. But it's also true that Donald Trump is way ahead in the race Mm -hmm. for the Republican nomination. And it's difficult to see what will dislodge him. Yeah, he doesn't have I I certainly know many, many people who would prefer another candidate would run in the Democratic race and and in the Republican race.
0: There's such, especially on the Democratic side, just a majority of Democrats, apparently polled, say that they would rather not have Biden run again, and yet no one's really no effective challenger has really emerged against President Biden, just as it's not clear that any of the Republican challengers to Trump has emerged in a strong position either. They both are pretty dug in, in
1: their in their position. Well, Newsom is certainly visiting a lot of places.
0: Isn't and he? And trying
1: to get himself in the news, but he's also being very careful and saying that he endorses right. Biden. There's also discontent over Kamala Harris being the vice presidential candidate. And, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, the, the problem, The one of the dynamics of this is the more they throw... What look like political indictments against President Trump, the right. more people are upset by that who are in the Republican constituency. So, now another thing that's very interesting is how the two candidates, Trump and Biden, are assuming Trump gets it, uh, are doing in the states that are going to make. You know, in the electoral college are going to make the, the pivotal states. So, what's happening in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, so, so forth, and Arizona, and so forth. So, it still looks like, you know, many people say, oh, Trump can't win. He can't, you know, Biden beat him last time in those states, and he's not going to, to pull it off. On the other hand, Trump is improving with minority voters. He's improving with younger voters. He's, uh, it's, not, it's not clear what, you know, many, so many racial minority voters are concentrated in states that are already going to go for the Democratic candidate. So even if Trump is improving, it's not necessarily enough in these swing states to make him win but I think it's I think it could go either way at this point I don't it's so early to just but you, it's know, so you have early. to say anything... if the election were held today I think either candidate could end up the winner right now
0: yeah yeah that does seem to be true okay um I think that we will call it quits for the day and look forward to our next conversation I'm, I'm so grateful to Bill Evers for his insightful analysis of so many of these issues. Also grateful to our friends who join us from far and near on Independent Outlook. As a reminder, you can always come to our website, independent.org, and find a lot of really useful resources on these and other topics, uh, which are probably at even better depth than what Bill Evers and I could give you today. Any final greetings for our friends, Bill? No, but thank you, Graham. And thank you, Bill. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on Independent Outlook. Take care.